All right. Well, we're going to just open up to Psalm 31. That's where we'll start today. And um, we're going to get through several of the Psalms and see what we can do. And uh, so, you know, maybe somebody's here today with a hurting heart, uh, sad or, you know, from something that's happened, or maybe somebody here feels betrayed or needs to give forgiveness or receive forgiveness, feels ashamed for something they've done or something like that. And uh, maybe there's been a great loss in somebody's life here in the sanctuary or listening. And uh, uh, these Psalms are all about that through David, but also not just David, other people too. Uh, They've experienced so many things. And this is the way that they spoke with God and they talked with God and they worshiped the Lord and they prayed to the Lord. And, uh, you know, this is under the old covenant, not the new covenant, uh, but we see uh, the beauty of who the Lord is come back to us in the scripture as the Holy Spirit uh, uh, moved in the pen, the heart, and then the pen of the people who were writing these things. And so uh, any emotion that you're feeling tonight, what is it? Think about it. What emotion are you feeling tonight? Is it? joy? Is it sadness? Is it lethargy? I don't know. Is it, I don't, I don't know, whatever. If, if lethargy is an emotion, that might not be. But anyway, whatever. Uh, you can get what I'm saying. And uh, you know that uh, in the book of Jeremiah, fantastic um, uh, uh, scripture in Jeremiah chapter 8, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? And you know this, in the ancient world, the balm of Gilead was a healing balm, and they couldn't find any in Jeremiah or in Jeremiah's time. And Jeremiah wrote about it, and the point was it was pointing to Jesus Christ, who is the balm of Gilead, who can heal our hurts, who can uh, take sorrow and turn it into joy, who can give you strength through his joy. And we want to experience that. And how do we interact with the Lord on a daily basis? That's what the Psalms are about, how we interact with the Lord daily or, yeah, in in the times that we're hurting or struggling or somebody in our family is hurting or struggling and we're hurting for them or or whatever it is, or victory. This is what the Psalms are about. So here we go. We're going to uh, tackle uh, Psalm 31. That's where we're going to start, Psalm 31. So get there, uh, to the chief musician. A psalm of David. It's for public worship to the chief musician. When it's given to the chief musician, we know it's for public worship. And uh, it's, you know, obviously a psalm written by David. And uh, Spurgeon writes this about this particular psalm. And I think this would help you if you, I, I know I give a lot of quotes, but man, this would really help you in your perspective of what the psalms are about. Uh, You know, I always thought Christians were people who had plastic smiles and walked around and faked it all the time. That's what I thought Christians were. But listen to this by Charles Spurgeon. The dedication to the chief musician in this psalm proves that the song of mingled measure and alternate strains of grief and woe was intended. So I didn't read that right. The dedication to the chief musician proves that this song of mingled measures and alternate strains of grief and woe was intended for public singing. And thus, a death blow is given to the notion that nothing but praise should be sung. 
Now, I'm not one pastor, I've heard pastors say, if you get angry with God, just yell at God and stuff like that. That's not where I come from, man. Uh, but he's big enough to handle your hurts, and sometimes it is. You're hurting. You don't have a smile, and you want to tell him about it. And in this case, David gave it to the chief musician who took it into the tabernacle in order for it to be sung. Think about that. Isn't that interesting? So here, listen to this. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me and deliver me speedily. Uh, be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. And here is a pivot, isn't it? For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, watch how he learned to pray. If you're new to the Lord or you're growing in the Lord or you are mature in the Lord and you're wondering how to pray, well, here's one thing you should be doing. Or just, I shouldn't say should be doing. There's no formula. But look, David was so intimate with the Lord, he prayed according to the Lord's namesake, his character. That's what he's saying right there. I'm praying according to your character, Lord. And if I'm not, I want to be. You get that? And so he says, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. Have you ever had an intimate friend or a close friend secretly lay a net for you? How awful does that feel? You ever heard of somebody talking behind your back? That doesn't feel good. But look, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Now there's another thing. There's a God of truth. He's the God of truth. I want to tell you a couple other things about this. This psalm is often quoted in other passages of the Bible. Isn't that fascinating? Not all of them are. This one is. The author of Psalm 71, which may be David, quotes the first three verses of Psalm 31 to start Psalm 71. And the re So I, I think the message here is this is an important psalm. We sort of skip over this psalm. Nobody puts this up on the refrigerator. And yet the Bible thought, uh, the Holy Spirit thought it was very important. Listen to this one. In Jonah, in, uh, it seems like he is quoting from Psalm 31.6. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. In Jonah 2.8, when he's actually in the belly of the whale. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. Doesn't that sound similar? It's an important psalm. Watch this. Jeremiah quotes Psalm 31, 13. Let's go there. For I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side while they take counsel together against me. They scheme to take away my life. Jeremiah quotes this six times. Six times he quotes this, uh, Psalm 31, 13. Isn't that fascinating? Or some form of it. So, uh, Jeremiah 6, 25, 20, verse 3, 20, verse 10, 46, verse 5, 49, 29, and Lamentations 2, 22. Sorry to bore you, but if you want the scripture, there it is. How about this one? Paul quotes Psalm 31, 24. Turn there. Psalm 31, 24. Be of, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. He quotes this in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. According to Adam Clark, uh, if you read it in our translation, it doesn't come through as much. But the language people say, and, and Adam Clark in particular, an old uh, a Bible scholar, that it's more clear in the Septuagint. 
which is the early Greek translation of the Old Testament, that Paul did quote this, Psalm 31, 24, in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. That's fascinating to me. This is an important psalm. Uh, psalm 31, 5. Let's go there. Back there again. Psalm 31, 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Sound familiar? Well, this is similar to what the Lord Jesus uh, said on the cross, his final words before yielding up his life in Luke 23, right there. Stephen, are you catching this now? Are you getting the theme? Stephen, the first martyr of the church, alluded to Psalm 31.5 in Acts 7. In other words, this is a very important psalm. And one of the things that this psalm teaches you, I think, is that you can come to the Lord in respect and reverence by, by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you can be honest. Now, I didn't say yell at the Lord. <laughs> That's just not my advice to you. But, you know, others would say do it, but I don't say do that. But you can be honest with him about how you feel. I feel real cruddy right now, Lord. I feel like people have betrayed me. I feel like I've been slandered. I feel like uh, I'm not getting ahead or whatever. I, I feel lonely. I feel uh, uh, I'm hurting. I need forgiveness. I need to extend forgiveness. There's a relationship in my life that needs or whatever, needs redeemed or needs uh, restored or, 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 or it could be a myriad of things or I'm suffering because of loss and, and uh, deep pain from people who are close to me. Well, of course, we take that to the Lord. And that's how David talked to him. But I want you to know... Uh, David pivoted. He went back to the character of God. Just turn, for instance, uh, in verse 14. By the way, look up here in verse 10. His strength was failing him because of his iniquity. There was some sin. He's real honest. I'm a reproach among my enemies there. But look, in 14, there's a big but here. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. What is one of the reasons you're going through a trial or tribulation? Uh, reason might not be the right thing, but one of the byproducts. What's going to come through as, uh, what's, what's going to develop in your life as you go through a tribulation and a trial? The ability to prove him more and more, to trust him more and more, to see how delightful his will and path and guidance is, as opposed to your will and path or my will and path, that seems to always get us into trouble when we try to manipulate the circumstances. So he says, but as for me, I'll trust in your, uh, you, O Lord. And he says in verse 16, make your face shine upon your servant. That's the real heart of the matter. It's not about being a good little boy or a good little girl. It's about being in the presence of the Lord. That's where we uh, gain strength and gladness and where our faces begin to shine. So save me, how? According to your mercies, for your mercy's sake. Look at how wonderfully he knows how to pray. Where did he probably learn all this? In the loneliness and the, uh, and the countryside, uh, leading around those stinky sheep, right? He says this, let the lying lips be put to silence, verse 18, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. And then here, here's another pivot. You just see it going back and forth. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. Oh, great, oh how great is your goodness. Isn't that beautiful? Which you have laid up 
for those who fear you, which suggests that there's goodness laid up for you. There's, it's stored away. It's endless. The graces of the riches of his grace are endless. So beautiful. Here, even in verse 20, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. And then blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I'm cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. This is a man who's crying. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. How do you have courage? You hope in the Lord. You hope in the Lord, and he'll strengthen your heart when you feel weak. He said this, didn't he? He said, oh, Paul, or Paul said this in the New Testament. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty weak. I'm paraphrasing here. I've been pressed down, shaken, not destroyed, but I'm low and hurting. But here's the deal. In my weakness, your grace is sufficient for me. And you, in, in my weakness, make yourself strong and mighty in my life. See, that's where we run. Okay, let's go on to Psalm 32. We understand that we can be honest with the Lord. I didn't mean disrespectful or cavalier with the Lord. I don't think you should be that. But we can be honest because he already knows. So Psalm 32, what's this one? This was a, a beautiful one. I don't know that we talk about this that much. It's a psalm about the joy of being forgiven. The joy of being forgiven. In order to have joy in being forgiven, folks, you have to know you're a sinner. <laughs> and in America, we don't talk about that that much. We talk about all, you know, uh, how great your life's going to be if you come to the Lord. Well, it will be good, but it's going to be hard. And in order to come to the Lord, you have to come face to face with who you are and who I am. And the fact of the matter is, I was born with a wicked heart deceptively wicked. Who could, I, who could know it? How could I trust it? Don't fall prey to the people who say, trust your heart. Trust my heart. My heart only does one thing. It gets me in trouble. I sin. I transgress. I sin against the Lord. But boy, when I have forgiveness of sins, that makes a difference. And this psalm uh, is uh, a contemplation, a psalm of David, a contemplation which is a maskeel, I might not be saying that right, so somebody correct me. But uh, uh, anyway, James Montgomery Boyce says that means instruction. This is an instructive psalm, a psalm to sing. Psalm 51 is the famous psalm. Write this down, because I want you to be you know, connected in the psalm. Psalm 51 and this psalm go together. Psalm 51 clearly to most people is the psalm that David wrote after he made the sin with Bathsheba and committed uh, a hit on his officer. Most people believe that's the psalm and um, that this psalm here sort of goes hand in glove with it and they don't know whether or not he wrote this right after Bathsheba. Other people believe both psalms were written uh, after Bathsheba, but Psalm 51 is the, the famous one there, you know. And uh, you can read about David's... Um, transgression, sin, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And you could read all about that. Uh, anyway, uh, so 
if you ever heard of St. Augustine, this was his favorite psalm. He had it on, inscribed on his wall as he took to his sickness, his last sickness, before he died. So he could just sort of, not sort of, but meditate on this because it meant so much to him. And this is a psalm of penitence. One writer wrote this, but it's also the song of a ransomed soul rejoicing in the wonders of the grace of God. Isn't that what we're to do morning by morning, day by day? Sin is dealt with, and um, sorrow is comfort, comforted, and ignorance is instructed. That was by G. Campbell Morgan. Just quickly, what is transgression? That's sort of crossing a line, trespass. What's sin? It's falling short of God's standard or missing a mark. What's iniquity? It's uh, crookedness and distortion. But all is sin. And here, it doesn't even take that much. You don't even need me, really. It's just beautiful how this thing's written. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Now, I like to read this in conjunction uh, with the New Testament in Romans 4. Go there. It's my favorite subject in the Bible. Here's where I think people gain freedom in the Lord. Because here's what I hear still in Christian circles. I need to do better. I need to be better. Well, I get what they're saying. What they're saying is they want to mature. And so I understand that. But here's the point. It's finished. <laughs> to Telestai. And your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And not only that, I want to take you to Romans 4. Although I'm getting so excited, I'm not getting there myself. And it says this. But to him, I'll go uh, five, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And whose sins are covered. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord, verse uh, eight there, blessed is the Lord to whom uh, the Lord shall not impute sin. So here, here's the beauty, beautiful part. You, uh, at the cross, what happened? The sins of the world were imputed to Jesus. Jesus never was a sinner, never was, but the sins of the world were imputed to him, sort of like put into his spiritual bank account so that the Lord could pour, uh, the God the Father could pour out his wrath and satisfy the justice that was demanded for the sin. In res re response to that, when you surrender your life to Jesus, guess what happens for you? Uh, you uh, are justified, declared not guilty, but then imputed to you is the righteousness of Christ. I mean, come on. And see, to me, that's where freedom found, is found in Christianity. It's not by being a good little boy or a good little girl. It's by depending upon the grace of God. Gobbling up. I'm saying that on purpose because that's our ending. Gobbling up, fasting on the grace of God, the faithfulness of God, you see? So when you get to a place where you've screwed up, and I've screwed up, and you didn't do the right thing now, you say to the Lord, oh Lord, I didn't do the right thing. I, was, I sinned there, and I'm so thankful that you've forgiven me. I confess my sin to you, and you who are faithful and just will forgive my, my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And oh, by the way, you're not a person who gives it and then takes it away. I still have your righteousness. Whoa. 
It's freeing. I'm not a perfect moral robot. I'm a person who lives by grace, and so are you, right? And so we mess up, we sin, but blessed is he whose transgression is, uh, uh, is forgiven. It's like the Beatitudes, folks. Blessed, happy. Why do we go around with sour lemons in our mouth? Or we like, look, look like we've eaten a lemon. I mean, Christians, come on. We've, our sins have been forgiven. Our debt has been paid. We're reconciled back to the Father. Here, the sin was covered. Ours has been taken away in the new covenant. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. David here is looking forward to the fact that the Lord is not going to impute our iniquity based on everything that Jesus has done. Uh, That is incredible. But in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silence, my bones grew old. Listen, here he's describing what it's like to sin and cover it up. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Notice, Selah, you see those different pauses there? The Lord wants you to pause and uh, ponder it. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time where you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You, though, or you are my hiding place. Good name for a book or a movie, right? You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I want you to mark those because we're going to come back to that at the end of this. If I forget to come back to that, you tell me. Okay, you shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Listen to this. As you... Worship the Lord as you study his word. He's going to show you the way you should go. You you can come to the counselor or the biblical counselor and say, which way should I go? Fine, and I'm not against counselors. Do it. But he'll do it. He'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. The Lord's going to speak to you through his word. And you're going to go down this path and that'll happen. And just he'll just teach you all about that. You ever had, you know, you've thought you've go, you're going down a path that you should be going and the Lord just, you know, shut that down and took you another place. And you were just totally instructed and taught about the thing that you did that you shouldn't have done or, or whatever, or the way that you acted or the way that you spoke or whatever, or the whatever. He'll instruct you. The Lord wants to be your counselor. It actually says it in Isaiah. He's the wonderful counselor. So he'll instruct you and teach you. Lord, here's another thing. Wow, just mark all these things. I'll guide you with my eye. I love this one. Here's why I love this one. You know, if my kids were, you know, uh, 10, 9, 10, 8, 6, let's say 12, 10, 8, 6 right now, and they were sitting back there, you know, all those years ago, and, uh, you know, John Kennedy was up here with me, and he looked over at my kids and gave them an eye. They really wouldn't know too much about that eye. But there's something about when a parent gives them the eye, and I'm not talking about, you know, mean or mad or anything like that, but you just can kind of do it, and they know what's going on. We're leaving. Uh, we got to go to the next thing. I love you. What you did was really great. I'm proud of you. They can see it in your eyes. You know what I'm saying though? 
And, and same thing with Jan, because she was the parent too. But you wouldn't do it. I mean, you're, you people wouldn't have that effect on my kids, and I wouldn't have that effect on your kids. And the reason is why? Because they're mine. And we're close. And we love one another. And we guide each other. The parent, the parent guides them with their eyes. You see it? It's closeness. I love this one. Don't you want to be at that place where you're just there with the Lord and he just gives a look or says the word and off you go into the thing that he asks you to do? Not because you're forced to or ever obligated to, ever, ever obligated, never obligated. It's all out of love. You love the Lord and he loves you and he's your father and he's a good dad and he wants you to do things that are good for you. Don't be like the horse or like the mule. That's what I'm like most of the time. No comments which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord's mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and, excuse me, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, rejoice you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I mean, this is just beautiful. The freedom of confessing your sin. Why would you hide your sin? Don't hide your sin with the Lord. He already knows it. And oh, by the way, do you really need to hide your sin with others? I mean, just agree with your adversary quickly, confess your sin, and go on. Now, there's such a thing as people who overshare. I mean, if I stole your seat uh, in the fellowship hall as you were trying to sit down and nobody else was here, I mean, I don't need to, next week to stand up here and confess my sin to the whole congregation, uh, just go to the person, that's enough. You know, you don't have to put it on Facebook, folks, what you've done for people who have no idea. Uh, don't overshare, but yes, confess your sin, agree with your adversary quickly, live transparently. All right, Psalm 33. Psalm 33, uh, my uh, caption here is the sovereignty of the Lord in creation and history. I've titled this, Learn to rejoice. Watch. What does rejoice mean, by the way? Look, you can joy over and over and over and over again. Rejoice. Get it? How do you rejoice? Well, here I think the title of this psalm should be Learning to Rejoice in and According to His Word. You're like, well, you're the pastor. You should say that. Well, watch this. Watch this. Um... Uh, if the uh, um, purest form of a hymn is praise to God for what he is and does, then Psalm 33 is a fine example, says one writer. That's what this is. It's the purest form of a hymn, what he is and what he does. But watch this. Rejoice in the Lord. In other words, rejoice in nothing or no one else. Rejoice in the Lord. For praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Uh, anyway. Sing to him a new song. The Lord puts a new song in your heart. What was your old song? You know what my old song was? Me. Just listen to any classic rock song. What's it about? You. How good she looks to you how much she f makes you feel good, or how he, he feels, right? It's all about you, and it's about me, and it's about, well, when you sing praises, though, it's a new song, and it's radically different. It's about him. It's about him and everything he's done. 
But watch this. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Come on now. That's us to rejoice. Why? Why? Why would we rejoice? When I was a Christian, or first a Christian, I would say those things. What are you doing there? I don't get it. Why are you so happy today? Why are you coming in here and singing and you got and you feel genuinely happy and joyful? Why? Well, because the word of the Lord is right. And he tells you and reveals himself in the word. And all his work is done truthfully. You can depend upon the Lord. Guys, gals, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you go out in the world, there's not a lot of people or things or uh, institutions you can depend upon. Because... Try as they might, they're not always truthful. But the Lord is always truthful, and everything he does is truthful. And he loves righteousness. Don't you love that? The right thing, doing the right thing? Listen, this one gets me. He loves justice. Come on now. That theme should make us jump up out of our seat, because when you go home here tonight, you're going to turn on Fox News, or you're going to turn on MSNBC, or whatever you turn on, and you're going to start getting mad. Or you're going to turn on the local news and you're going to get mad. And you're going to say things like, how can this be? This is so unfair. I can't believe how evil the world is. Are you going to say that? Yeah, you are. So will I. And the Lord is justice. And he's coming and he's going to put and set everything right and make everything fair. Life isn't fair now. True. But it will be fair. And the Lord's going to do it. That's a, such a great thing. The earth, it just takes all the pressure off to make somebody pay or to get vengeance on somebody or to get somebody back. Or s- The Lord is going to do it. And look at this. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And then watch this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He goes in here and he talks about how the, uh, the Lord created the world. And that's beautiful. By the word, amazing. And then the Lord brings counsel of the nations to nothing. I'm skipping, I know, to verse 10. He makes plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But yes, that's great. The people he has chosen his own inheritance. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord for that, because you know why? You and I watch Ukraine, Russia. We watch uh, Israel and the, the Palestinian thing. We think, my, 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 Lord, things are totally out of control. They're not out of control. He controls the nations. He's going to do it. I don't know how. I don't know when, but he will. But here then, he takes it down to the personal level. Watch this. I never knew this when I first became a Christian. The Lord looks from heaven, verse 13, he sees all the sons and daughters of men. He sees all of you. He sees all of us. Are you hurting right now? Are you struggling? Whatever it is, he sees you from the place of his dwelling. He looks, watch, on all the inhabitants of the earth. And then I put wow right here in verse 15. Wow. He fashions their hearts individually. See, I'll bet you the Lord needs to fashion my heart a little bit differently than he needs to fashion Jan's heart. I'll just guess that. Right? I mean, I've got issues. She has no issues, but you know what I'm saying. We got different things going on. And the Lord needs to bust me on some stuff that maybe he's not really busting her on or molding her and shaping her in. He actually fashions our hearts to godliness according to his plan individually. So you say, well, should I go and do the ministry at the homeless? I don't know. Maybe. 
But maybe the Lord's not calling you to the homeless ministry. Maybe the Lord's calling you to the toilet ministry and cleaning the toilet or out being the greeter and doing the ministry over there. I don't know. But he's going to fashion your heart individually. Don't you love that? If you get hired at a new job, don't you hate when the boss or the people don't like give you the directions? You just sort of have to guess. It's like in the manual. Read the manual. Well, yeah, I know, but what do I do on a day? Listen, the Lord comes down to your level. He fashions your heart, my heart, our hearts individually, and he considers all your works. What you do here on earth matters. I'm not saying you gain salvation by your works. Of course you don't do that. But what you do here matters. It's important to the Lord. And he says the things that don't matter, he's just going to burn up wood, hay, stubble, and what you're going to take into eternity to the things that matter. And the things that matter aren't a better house, a bigger house. It's not. A bigger car, a bigger vacation, a bigger 401k. No, should you be a good steward? Of course. But none of those matter. What matters in uh, uh, heaven, in eternity, the things that he considers is love. You say, well, I love people. Yeah, but not just your family. Loving enemies, loving the unlovable. Being Jesus to people, not in a weird way, but letting Jesus live in and through you. He considers all your works faith in the middle of hard circumstances. Faith, forgiveness, joy, peace. And it only comes through a grace relationship. It's never out of obligation. Well, you go on. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. That's funny because in Deuteronomy 17, 17, it says that the kings of Israel should not be saved by or have chariots and horses. And here uh, David picks up on them. But here you go. Behold, verse 18, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Waiting on the Lord is not a passive activity. You don't sit on the couch with sea salt caramels and watch Netflix and the Lord... I'm pointing that out because we love sea salt caramels. But anyway, but the Lord, what it is, it's trusting the Lord. It's praying to the Lord. It's having your Bible out in the word. What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you have for me in this situation? And instruct me and guide me and I'll believe it. And when you open the door, I'll walk through it. Just as we hope in you. And how do we hope in you? And how do we rejoice in you? I'm sorry, folks, but there's never a shortcut. It's in his word. You got to get there. You have to be there. Psalm 34. Man, for those who trust in the Lord, there's real joy and happiness. But you can't really know Psalm 34 unless you know 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 22. See, Samuel's running from Saul in 1 Samuel 21. What a story. Can you believe this? This is actually in the Bible. He's running from Saul, and David goes to this Philistine city of Gad, Gath, but finds no safety there and narrowly escapes. And how does he narrowly escape? He acts like he's out of his mind. And what does he do? He just sort of chants and lets spit run down his beard, and he just acts out of his mind. And the 
<laughs> king says, get out of here. And f following that, David goes to what's called the cave at Adullam, where many men, it's really interesting, that's such a great chapter, isn't it? Uh, 400 men join him, and they're all like in debt. They're all the cast-offs, you know, and they're all having trouble. And But anyway, many people believe that this psalm was written in the cave. After he had acted really strange and inappropriate and fearful. Have you ever acted strange, weird, inappropriate, or fearful? Yeah, I do that sometimes. And here he writes a psalm. It's almost too hard to believe. He writes a psalm in this cave uh, to read, I said, my title, to read when you've acted a fool. <laughs> you ever acted a fool? Well, I have. Let's read it real quick. A Psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. I'll bless the Lord at all times. Well, isn't that fascinating? His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Hmm, interesting. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Watch this. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Here, here's the thing. If you understand grace, see, I read this and I have a little trouble with it. <laughs> David, five minutes ago, you were acting so stupid. And now you're writing a psalm like this. And yet if you examine it, it gets at the grace of God. Because the way in which I'm thinking or expressing to you is performance-based Christianity. And here's the thing. Even when we act foolish, the Lord can redeem it, bring us up out of it. We confess it, and we start moving forward. You get it? And here he goes. He blesses the Lord. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. That's so appropriate. I can't boast in me. How could I have done it, we say to ourselves. I can't boast in me, but wow, I can still boast in the Lord because he is still good and he chose me and picked us. And how could he have? I don't know, but he did. Well, wow, see, that's where freedom is in the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together. Can you imagine him saying this to these cast-offs? What a beautiful psalm. We should name our church the 400 church or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. That word is actually in the Hebrew, terrors. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. And the poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. I want you to see this. This one's really important for our finale here. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What? Taste and see that the Lord is good? Blessed is the man or woman who trusts in God. You're going to be happy if you'll trust in him. You ever been to that place where you, you're in a hard, awkward situation? Maybe you've got to go talk to somebody and you know, you know the Lord's calling you to talk to them or or whatever, you got to go, maybe you acted foolish or something, and you got to go and ask, you just don't want to do it. You ever been in that place? And you just, ah, they don't really know about it, so I'm not going to do it. But the Lord just keeps saying, nah, you, you need to go talk to that person, right? You ever done something like that? 
And you know, it's a struggle. You get a pit in your stomach and you just don't want to do it. And then, then the Lord just keeps saying, no, nah, you, you need to do that. And you go and do it. And by the way, it could go great or it could go poorly. You can't control the other person's reaction. But when you come out of it, what do you feel like? <gasps> Thank you, Lord, that you had me go through that. Blessed is the man or the woman who trusts him, even, I would say, when it's hard. Fear the Lord, saints. There's no want to those who fear him. Young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life? Do you want life? You want to just be bored all the time? See, the Lord can make any day, every day, all days, even in the mundane, exciting because you get to commune with him. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and er, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Remember, he'll guide you with my eye. Uh, and his ears are open to their cry. And the face of the Lord against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Watch this. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. I'm going to prove it to you. In the Bible, how near the Lord is to the broken heart. You ready for it? You ever read Psalm 22? Psalm 22, first line. It's a picture, by the way, of the crucifixion. It's a picture of the Messiah on a cross. By the way, it's written several hundred years before crucifixion's invented. Anyway, it's a picture of the crucifixion, and it's a prophecy of our Savior, Lord and, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ being on the cross. And the first verse of the psalm that's being written by David is, can you imagine David having a really tough day, doesn't understand that anybody's with him or around him, and the Lord moves on him to write this, my God, my God, uh, why hast thou forsaken me? And you just start writing, and you write the rest of the psalm, and you're like, okay, whatever. The Lord is so far from me, I can't even believe it. The Lord is so far from me, I'm hurting. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the Lord is so close to David at the time. He's so close. He's moving the pen for the very words that Jesus would say on the cross. At the time that David was feeling the farthest from the Lord is actually when the Lord was the closest and was using him. Amazing. It's unbelievable. And here it says that the uh, eyes, or excuse me, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Believe it. If you have a broken heart tonight, and you say to yourself, I can't believe it. I want you to think of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, Lord? He's so close. At the time that David thought he was far. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. He helps us with our emotions. Did you catch that? He helps us with when we're struggling with those and saves such as have a contrite or humble spirit. And you can read the rest there. It's a beautiful psalm. Psalm 34. Well, here's another one. This one causes problems. A lot of people don't like to read these psalms. These are, this is an imprecatory psalm. This is a psalm in which uh, uh, you're calling out uh, for justice upon your enemies. You say, wait a second, what am I doing here? Am I allowed to do that? Well, this is a psalm of David, and it's one of the imprecatory psalms. But you've got to think of this. It, does, it is a prayer for God to defeat or destroy David's enemies, but keep, keep this in mind. David prays that God's justice, God's sovereignty, God's power, God's protection 
he keeps that all in mind as he's praying and there's a deep yearning for justice and all of that or all of those things are characteristics of God. We can't really assign this psalm to anything in particular. However, several people uh, think the phrasing of Psalm 35, 1a, the beginning of uh, verse 1, is similar to 1 Samuel 24, 15. I'll let you do uh, uh, the comparison. Fascinating, though, I want you to just jot this down and look at this after service tonight. Jesus quotes from two imprecatory psalms. Hmm. You can look at that up in John 2.17 and John 15.25, okay? Now, how, how would this help us? Because you know you're called to pray against the spiritual forces. You have really devious, rough enemies that were out to doom you. We obviously have the Lord. Greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. But we're to pray these. We can pray these for our spiritual enemies. But what do we do for our physical enemies? Pray for them. Love them. Pray for, pray for love for them. Well, look at this. Plead my cause with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help and draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Watch this. This is an imprecatory psalm, folks. Watch it. Verse 4, let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion who plot my hurt. Let them be like chaff and let the angel of the Lord chase them. And I'm going to let you read through that. And it goes on and on and on. But look in verse 9. But in the middle, and my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in the salvation. He even talks about uh, uh, here, watch this, verse 12. They reward my evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. And some people believe Psalm 35, 12 there is a reference to Jesus suffering under Pontius Pilate. Uh, here's some other things. Uh, turn to verse 22 of this psalm. And here's the kicker. <laughs> David knows it. David's being real honest. He has some great emotions, uh, emotional things about his enemies, of course. It's hard uh, to be tough uh, or not to be rough or tough with your enemies. It's hard to love your enemies for us who are in the flesh, not walking according to the Spirit. But watch. Here's what he does. He pivots in verse 22. This you have seen, O Lord. You're watching. You know, Lord. Praise God, praise you, God, that you see what's happening, even though nobody else may see. So I'm going to pray, Lord, that you don't keep silent. Lord, don't be far from me. This is the heart of the prayer. Stir up yourself and awake to my vindication, to my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. Did you catch it? There it is again, grace. I want you and your righteousness, not my righteousness, to be the thing that would move you to do this and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, ah, oh, so we would have it. We have swallowed them up. And he keeps going on and on and on. But he uh, says this in verse 27, second part of it. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasures 
in the prosperity of his servant. When people watch me or you, when people watch me or you go through a devastating time where people are your enemies and are being bad towards you, David's prayer was, watch this, not get them, Lord, vindicate me, yes, but Lord, through the whole thing, ah, oh, may you be made big. Wow. That is Holy Spirit driven for us, isn't it? And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and your praise all the day. Fill your uh, tongue up with praise of the Lord so it won't be snapping against the other person. Okay, Psalm 36. Watch this. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. This is Psalm 36. Uh, uh, this is an interesting one. As we live out the things that are set for us in Scripture... As we live out the things that we, uh, as, uh, are set out for us in Scripture, we're going to see the faithfulness of God in our lives. You want me to say that again? Don't let this just be pastor speak and you just go, okay, whatever, I need to get to you know, bed. As we live out the things that are set out for us in his word, we're going to see the faithfulness of God in our lives. You'll see it. And so here's where we're going to be challenged. An oracle within my heart, verse 1, concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. That's the wicked person. Uh, for he flatters himself uh, in his own eyes. So this is a contrast between the wickedness of man and God's uh, uh, righteousness. And when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates, the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that isn't good. He doesn't abhor evil. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep, O Lord. You preserve man and beast. How precious is your hesed, loving kindness. If you don't know the word hesed, Get to know the word said in the Hebrew. It's loving kindness. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of their wings. Now watch. Who here is dissatisfied with life? Don't raise your hand. But if you are dissatisfied with life, I want you to know this. The ones who count on the loving kindness of God are meditating on it, are thinking about it, are understanding it as best they can, and, and are counting on it, are enjoying it. And these children of men who put the trust under the shadow of their wings, they not just are satisfied, they're abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. You think the Lord doesn't want to bless you? He wants to bless you, man? For with you is the fountain of light in your light. In your light, we see light. I mean, why, when you put your trust in God, who is this good, that's what he's saying right here. Look, he rattles them off. Don't just go over it because you know it. Faithfulness, righteousness, judgments are a great deep. You preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness when you put in trust your trust in a God who is that good you're going to be abundantly satisfied. But you got to know what he's like. 
Okay, keep, keep with me now. Don't tune out. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those you, who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me and not let the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the wick, or workers of iniquity have fallen. They've been cast down and are not able to rise. But isn't that beautiful? You can have abundant satisfaction with the fullness of your house. And it's because of the grace of God. That's it. Because of how good he is. Because of Tetelestai. And it is finished. Man, oh man. This isn't pastor speak. This is real life. Watch this. And we're finished with this one. Psalm 37. A Psalm of David. <laughs> Who hears a fretter? You like to worry? Okay, this is the psalm to read when you're fretting or worrying. You know how I know? Just because I read the first verse. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't fret. Don't fret. This is, goes hand in hand with Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is the famous psalm of comparison. Comparison will steal your joy. Psalm 73, just read it. I look across and I see why the wicked prosper. Why is that, God? I'm ticked about it. That's what Psalm 73 is about. Why does that person prosper? They don't follow you and I don't prosper. Why? That's Psalm 73. And this goes hand in glove with it and I worry about it. See, when you do that, you can compare yourself, you're stealing your joy. Don't fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like grass. That's right there in Psalm 73, by the way. And wither as the green herb. What do we do? Trust. Instead of envying. Instead of comparing. Instead of getting out on Instagram and seeing how wonderful their house is or their car. That person's always put together. The makeup's always on. The, uh, the, the, the Martha Stewart China is always out. They're always entertaining. It looks beautiful. My house is a wreck. Why? I can't stand it, Lord. Why? I need more. Instead of doing that, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. And here, here, here it is. Here it is. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Now, I want to stop right there. And I want you to write down somewhere. I want you to do this. this I'm going to, you're going to have homework. I'm counted. Everybody who's in here, I got you in my mind. I'm going to ask you next Wednesday. I want you for yourself to work out what it means to feed on his faithfulness. What does it mean to feed on the faithfulness of God? Listen, we just said in the last, uh, the psalm a couple times ago, that we're to taste and see that the Lord is good. What does that mean? How am I to feed on the faithfulness of God? Well, I'm going to give you some things, but I want you this week for your own self, this is your devotion. I want you to write out how do you feed on the faithfulness of God? What is it that we're doing when we feed on the faithfulness of God? Well, here. One thing we do is we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. What do you mean? You feed on the faithfulness of God. How faithful was God? He marched to a cross. He died. He went into a grave. He took the form of a servant. He came out of the heavens to do this, to die. And he rose again. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we have the Holy Spirit. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. I think that's one thing. How about this one? Philippians 4.19. Our God, my God, is going to supply all your needs. 
according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You're going to get all your needs. I mean, okay? In other words, God is faithful in providing. Feed on that faithfulness. How do you feed on faithfulness? Here's another one, Philippians. We ought to just stay in Philippians like the kids at Lincoln Square. Being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. You ever had a, a Christian that wants to quit? They've done something, they've done something, they've done something. See, you're, you're not getting it. <laughs> we understand. What's that? I can't hear. Oh, sorry, Philippians 1.6. I just couldn't hear. Uh, but you're not getting it. How could you quit? The Lord's going to move you on to godliness. Don't quit. He's going to do a good work in you. He's going to carry it on to completion. Wow, he's faithful in bringing you uh, into godliness. Isn't that wonderful? Transforming your life. How about this one? Matthew 5.4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they are going to be comforted. He's faithful in comforting you. He's the God of all comfort. How about this one? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He's, strength, he's faithful in making you strong. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How about that one? Ephesians. I'm just going through this, but Hebrews 10.25. This one, this one blows me away. Maybe because I'm the pastor. Maybe because I went through COVID and I saw people not come to church. And you think, well, you just want people to come to church. So you could say, you have a lot of people in your church. No, that's not why. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10.25, don't give up meeting or assembling together. And he says, it's like a joke, as some are in the habit of doing. Don't do that. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because God has been faithful in providing a community of believers to come and to be comforted with and sharpened with and to rejoice with and to cry with and to confess to each other and to carry one another's burdens. And our people stay home or sit downstairs and don't take benefit of it. And the Lord's a perfect gentleman. He's not going to pull you here. You, you, you do it. But here's what's cool, and you could keep going on and on. What does it mean to feed on the faithfulness of God? I just read to you some of the things in the Bible, just a few. By the way, those things I kept pointing to earlier, those were all faithful things that the Lord does for us. So I have my ideas. How do you feed on the faithfulness of the Lord? Well, I'm going to give you one thing. <laughs> Turn with me to Proverbs 8. You're going to be like, oh, come on. Then we'll stop. I think it's in verse... Verse 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. And, and I'm just wondering, I mean, you tell me. Anyway, maybe I'll just leave it at that. And you think about that verse this week in terms of feeding on the faithfulness of God. That's your homework. And here's why. 
Because if you're back in verse, uh, Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight also in the Lord and he's going to give you the desires of your heart. And this is just a beautiful picture, Psalm 37. I'm going to let you read it. It's a really long psalm about the heritage, the the thing that's coming for the righteous, but also the thing that, or the things that are coming for the wicked, the heritage of the righteous. And it starts and ends with, I'm convinced, with feeding on the faithfulness of the Lord. Now let me give you a time out. I think one of the things that this is pointing to is the grace of God. If you discover the grace of God, you're going to be feeding on the faithfulness. And I just got to tell you, you got to get this book or sign up for this. I'm just saying, this book revolutionized my life. It's a guy named Bob Hoekstra. It's the best devotion I have ever read or ever will read. It goes from one to the end of the year. And the thing about this is it builds. And my man, David Dennis, took advantage of this. And every time I see him, he's got this in his hand. If you want to feed on the faithfulness of the Lord and you want some help, Grab this book, and you could see me after, and I'll tell you where to get it. Anyway, I'm going to let you, obviously, I want you to read this book. But this book is going to direct you right into this book. And you're going to read just something in here if, they, if you like devotions, and it's going to take you right to this book, and you're going to feed on his faithfulness. So here, let me do, let me pray. And you're going to, we're going to talk. We're going to have uh, five minutes at the beginning. We'll of interaction next week, or maybe 10, about what feeding on the faithfulness of the Lord looks like, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for today and for this good and great group, and we pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in us. Help us to know and understand what it is to feed on your faithfulness. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.